Well, if you haven't been able to tell it yet, we're focusing on our 10th anniversary. And our theme for this three-week season is yesterday, today, and forever. Psalms, I mean, Hebrews, it teaches that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we've been going to take a look today at yesterday. Couldn't tell all those songs that we sang came from yesterday. A lot of those we haven't sung in quite a while. So if you didn't know them, that means you're probably newer to us, because we probably haven't sang those since like 07 or 08, maybe even earlier, but even further back than that. So it's kind of catching up to them. And so today we're going to take a look at yesterday and Next week, we'll look at kind of what God's doing in our midst uh, now, and then on our anniversary celebration, we'll try to see where God might be taking us in the future as a part of the forever. You know, I I have a lot of fond memories of the early years of Hope Chapel. You know, um, I can remember back to the very first July when we did our very first baptism. You know, it is a great thing to do baptisms in a pool on a sunny day with the smell of hamburgers just kind of wafting over the top of the pool. And, you know, we had the, the privilege that day of baptizing the, the first two people, first two adults in the life of our church, Terry Stevens and my, my sister-in-law, Peggy. And it was a, a tremendous moment. And those are just kind of things that you'll, you'll never forget. You know, I, I can remember the times when the custodians arrived late at the school. For those of you who aren't aware of this, we, we met in a school building for the better part of the first four years of our lives. We started meeting there in April and stayed there until the end of January of 2006. So we were there the better part of four years. And, and we were dependent upon the janitors to show up and unlock the building and allow us to get in. And somewhere in the very first year, we got there on a Sunday evening. We started out meeting on Sunday nights at 6. So we got there and, and there was no janitor. So we were supposed to get there at 5 and have an hour to set up. 5.15, no janitor. 5.30, no janitor. So we started to empty out the trailer that we had onto like an amphitheater they had behind the theater. It was going to be outdoors. It was right in the sun. We were all roasting. And then about 20 minutes of 6, he shows up, and we try to scramble and put everything inside and got it set up. And thank the Lord that the theater was air-conditioned because I was, I was sweating uh, pretty, pretty heavily. And then we had the same thing happen to us on a Christmas Eve. I don't know. How many of you were at that Christmas Eve service? Maybe some of you go back that far. We, you know, we're supposed to have a service at, at like 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock. I don't remember the exact time. We were supposed to get there an hour early. You know, it's going to be one of our biggest services of the year. 5 o'clock, no janitor. 5.15, no janitor. 5.30, no janitor. You know, quarter of 6, the janitor shows up. And it was just like a Chinese fire drill trying to get everything all set up. He said he got stuck in line at Walmart, you know, trying to buy those last-minute gifts for the next day. You know, and we just, you know, and I'm glad that, that I'm glad I got a key to this building so we don't have to go through those things anymore, you know. You know, and, and I can remember the times of, you know, um, just being worried, just having almost like a sleepless Saturday night because I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to get the trailer out of the driveway on a Sunday morning. You know, uh, where we generally kept it was in, a, was, a, uh, was in our lower driveway, and there's a hill there, and all we had at the beginning was a front-wheel drive Windstar, Ford Windstar van, and so we tried to pull it up the hill, and, and um, there were some times we just literally couldn't get it up the hill. I remember the first time it happened to us, and it's like, it's a pant. What are we going to do? We can't get the tra- it's church in the box. If we don't have the box, we can't have church, you know? And so, and I couldn't get it up the driveway. I remember picking up the phone and calling Rob Russell, who lived up in Princeton, and I said, Rob, can you come down here? And, put, and he put, I think he pulled the van and the trailer right up out the, out the driveway, and I went out the next week and bought a new car. We bought a Ford Expedition, and we never got stuck again. And I hated that car. The sacrifices you make for the kingdom, I guess, huh? You know, uh, Christina emailed our, our oldest son, uh, both of our boys this week, what their, some of their memories were. And our oldest one, of course, his was, was the, the time when they pulled up to the building and 
you know, I used to take the boys over with me later, so Christina would go earlier with a, tr- with a trailer, and she actually got to be quite an expert at backing up the trailer, you know, because we backed it up behind the building, and, and during the winter months, they just plowed the sidewalk. So you're trying to back this expedition and trailer up the sidewalk behind the building with these big snow banks and not get stuck, and she got really good at it, you know, over time, but there was one time they got there, and for some reason, they started unloading stuff out front. And then, and then she forgot to put the trailer gate up before she drove around back. So she drove all the way around the building with the trailer gate, bounced it up and down on the thing. And that's my son's favorite memory about the whole thing. You know, it was at the time his mother dragged the whole thing around. And, and I can remember our first Occupy, you know, um, I call it our Occupy VBS, our first vacation Bible school. We held it at the old building, the old, old location of the Sterling Baptist Church here in Sterling on Jewett Road. And the building was just way too small, the trailer. So we rented a tent for the week, and we added tents to it. And it looked like Tent City out there in the property. And, you know, we had learned from the week before that we really needed to spray the property because there were anthills everywhere. You know, there were a couple of weeks that first year we couldn't move and meet in the school building. And so our decision was we had the July 4th picnic, and then the very next week we decided to meet on the property and to meet outdoors. And so wouldn't you know, so we get there on that Sunday morning, and we're starting to put out the lawn chairs, and there's no place to put any lawn chairs out where there aren't anthills everywhere. So, you know, we just kind of warned people in advance, keep your feet off the ground. It was good core exercise for the whole day. People just lifted their feet up and didn't have any... T- and didn't you know that was the, the, the week that John Miner's boss at Omnova up in Fitchburg decided to visit our church. So we're sitting outside on the scraggly crabgrass with ants climbing everywhere and planes from the Sterling Airport going overhead at about 500 feet throughout the whole service. And I'm thinking, we're never going to see them people again. And they ended up joining. It was a miracle, you know. Just lots of kind of things. But I I don't want to just ramble along. I I want to give a little structure to my comments today about yesterday. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It's page 350 in your Black Pew Bible if you're using it. Not you'll find Chronicles kind of buried in the midst of the history books. Um, you have the Samuels and then the Kings, and then you'll find your ways into Chronicles. Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. I want to re- read verses eight through thirty-six, but let me give you a little context. What's happening here in the history of the people of Israel is a great day of celebration. I think we ought to be in a great time of celebration of what God's done at Hope Chapel. And the reason that the people here are in a great time of celebration is that the Ark of the Covenant is finally coming back into the central part of the life of the people. You know, they had, they had uh, built the Ark earlier under Moses at his command. It had led them across the Jordan River when they entered into the Promised Land. It had been at the center of their worship for, such a, for a long time. But underneath the kingship of Saul, they had actually lost the Ark to the Philistines. They had taken it into battle with them so that was to ensure their victory. And instead of winning, they lost. They lost 30,000 men, and the Ark was captured. And the Philistines took it home as a prize. And they kept it for a while, but it kept causing such problems with them. They kept getting tumors and, and, and other kinds of issues. And, and their God kept falling over, their idol, if you will, kept falling over you know, to, the, to the ark. That They just said, we don't want this anymore, and they got rid of it. And they sent it back to Israel on a cart with a special guilt offering to God as a part of that. And it spent, spent over 20 years in the home of a, of a guy by the name of Abinadad. And then when David became king, and he conquered Jerusalem, and was kind of setting up that as the central place of the people, the place to really meet with God, and he had built a place for the ark to be stored, he went to bring it up, and, in, and initially they had problems. Some, 
you know, some things happened. Somebody reached out to kind of stop the ark from falling. They died. Everybody was terrified. And they, they ended up putting it into somebody else's home. And it stayed there for three or four months until they figured out how to get it into the, into the capital. And on this day, the ark, which represents the presence of God, is moving into the midst of the capital. And there's a tremendous psalm of thanksgiving. And let me just read verses 8 through 36 for you. And then use some thought patterns out of here to guide my comments to you today about celebrating what God has done in the yesteryears here at Hope Chapel. So David offers up this psalm. He says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Proclaim His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell about His wonderful works. Honor His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Search for the Lord and for His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonderful works He has done. His wonders and judgments He has pronounced. You offspring of Israel, His servant. Jacob's descendants, His chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments govern the whole earth. Remember His covenant forever. The promise He ordained for a thousand generations. The covenant He made with Abraham. Swore to Isaac and confirmed to Jacob as a decree. And to Israel as an everlasting covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan. To you as I will give the land of Canaan to you as your inherited portion. When they were few in number, very few indeed, and tem- temporary residents in Canaan, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their behalf. Do not touch my anointed ones or har- harm my prophets. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonderful works among all peoples. For the Lord is great. And is highly praised. He's feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His place. Ascribe to the Lord, families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord is King. Let the sea and everything in it resound. Let all the fields and all that is in them exult. Then the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And they say, save us. God of our salvation, gather us and rescue us from the nations so that we may give thanks to Your holy name and rejoice in Your praise. May the Lord, the God of Israel, be praised from everlasting to everlasting. You know, um, there's some things I see in this text that I'd like to use just kind of as a, as a guideline today. And the first, uh, there, there are several things that David instructs the people to do on this day of celebration. One of those is to give thanks. I want to go through some things and tell you what I'm thankful for that I've seen God do in the life of our church. Second, it says to make known His deeds, to proclaim His deeds, tell Him His glory. I want to tell you about some of the things I've seen God do. It says to seek the Lord and His strength. I want to tell you about how we've done that here at Hope Chapel and how God's honored it. It tells us to remember His deeds. I want to talk about some remembering that we need to do. It tells us that we need to bring an offering. I want to talk about some ways that we've done that and need to do that in the future. But let's start, first of all, with this give thanks. It says, give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. And that that theme comes up several times. And this list could just go on and on and on. But but I I want to share with you just a few things that I'm really thankful for. You know, I got thinking about this over this past week. I finally got Easter into my rearview mirror and started thinking about it. And I'm just incredible, 
incredibly thankful for the tremendous friend that God has given me through the life of Hope Chapel. You know, there's just, over the years, there's just been just tremendous friendship. I'm grateful for the variety. <laughs> you know, we have some really different kinds of people here, in a good way, not in a strange way. You know, you know I wonder, you know, Leo Fred Poulin is a dear friend of mine. You know, I love him. He's got, he's got one of the largest servant's hearts I've ever encountered. And, and I think I've said this kind of thing before, but if Leo and I were in high school together, we would have never been friends. You know what I mean? I would have been down in the gym, and he would have been somewhere else, and, and he would have hated me, you know? you know? And I wouldn't have blamed him. But you come together in the body of Christ. You come together in the body of Christ that we know as Hope Chapel. And that's an incredible friendship. I, I tease Leo like a brother, because he is a brother. And, and I think about the incredible friendships that I have here. I think about the incredible friendships that many of you have here. There is just a, a long list of people that you can pick up the phone and say, I need a hand, and they'd be there. Or you can, you can call them and say, I need you to pray for me, and they'll be there. It's amazing. Sometimes we, we forget the great gift that God gives us in Christian fellowship and friendship. And, and I've been just grateful. You know, many, many times you know, I get asked, the question, well, what, what is it about Hope Child? So, you know, we just have great people. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I've also been just really pleased that, that God in His sovereignty has just chosen to, to keep us from having any major experiences of conflict among the family. And that's not true of every church, especially not every church that goes through a building program. You know, and I'm not saying we haven't had some molehills, but, but I've watched the leadership of Hope Chapel, not just me, but many people, I've watched them make sure that molehills never became mountains. And I'm grateful for that. Because what that means is those those people were keeping the eyes on the big things, the most important things, the major things, the kingdom things. And God has honored that over the years, and I'm thankful for that. Particularly in this passage, David is thankful for God's faithfulness to his promises. He made a promise to Abraham, followed it up to Isaac, then to Jacob. Then all through history, he had protected them and the nation and finally brought them into the land that he had promised. God had been a promise keeper. And so he's thankful that God had been a promise keeper. I got to tell you, I'm grateful that God is a promise keeper. You know, in in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm grateful that God is faithful to keep power in His gospel. I came in a little earlier this morning because I had forgotten to do this late last week. And I went through and I counted the number of people that we've had the privilege of baptizing since our church got started. And it's over 100 people. The vast majority of those are adults. And, and, and it's just been incredible to see how God has worked in the lives of people through the power of His gospel. To see how faithful He is to His message of its ability to change lives. You know, And I thought about some of the ones and you know, there's... There's obviously been a number that are just really stand out, but you know, I remember the, the thrill of baptizing Jim and Courtney Abraham at the exact same time. You know, as they were kind of, she was strewn out kind of next to him and lowering them both into the water and out. And I remember Jim grabbing the glass because he's afraid he's going to go under. And I keep telling him his right hand's still not saved. He needs to get that under and he can get it. Get it. But <laughs> just, just easing him because he grabbed the glass, you know. And, and you've heard the story of, of Bob St. Jean and how after years and years and years of prayer, the power of the gospel just burst into his life. And now he's one of my precious friends here at Hope Chapel. But probably the one that stands out to me the most of why I'm so thankful for the power of the gospel is Justin Alby. Some of you have been here for a long time, know that name. Justin was the oldest child of Kevin and Carol Alby. Carol's our church secretary. When Justin came, he was a very shy kid. Kind of kept his distance from a lot of people. Really wouldn't talk to me, maybe not to most adults. And you really wondered how much it was getting there, but... 
getting to him, especially spiritually. But there was a time when God just began to get a hold of him when he was in high school, and Justin began to open up. He started coming to youth group, gave his life to Christ. During his freshman year in college, he died of a heart condition. It makes you grateful for the power of the gospel. That even though there's great grief, and you still see it in the eyes of Kevin and Carol, there's great hope. That's what I'm thankful for. Grateful for the provision that God has made over and over again throughout the years in the life of our church. Remember when we were first starting, and we were wondering how... How are we going to make it look like we know what we're doing on day one? You know, we, we needed sound equipment. We needed speakers. We needed stuff to be able to set up the cafeteria over there so it had room for children. We, you know, we need, and, and this family that we knew came and said, Jim and Letitia Hesham, they said, we want to give you $5,000 to get what you need to start this church. So we went out and got a trailer, <laughs> bought speakers, microphones, soundboard, the whole thing. And, and I'm not sure we looked like we knew what we were doing, but at least we had the equipment to look like we knew what we were doing as we got started on that day. But we needed people to help. You know, and I can remember going to John Mylot and his wife Margo, and John was a sound guy over at the church he was attending. And I said, John, can you give us six weeks? Just come out and run our soundboard for six weeks. You know, and, and train somebody else. You can train our oldest son how to run the soundboard, you know, as, as best as he can at that point. And John and Margot came, and they never left until they moved to Pennsylvania. And John was one of the first elders. We had John Mylot, John McDonough, and John Minor. They were all John, and they all had M's, so we, we had to name them first, second, and third John. You know, that's the only way we, we could keep them separated. I don't know which one John Mylot was, but he was one of our original elders. But he wasn't the only one. Lauren Supernot signed up to become our children's coordinator at the very beginning, coming from another church to help us out. Joanne Bodholt did that with our children's ministry. And, and boy, I tell you what, how grateful I am to have somebody who's stuck to me like Christina, to have somebody from the very beginning who could lead our worship the way that she can. It's just, just amazing the way that God provides. And I'm thankful for all those things. You know, put, David instructs the people to tell of his wonderful deeds. You know, when you're a church planter and your church grows... You get asked the question, well, what are you doing? Because you know, a lot of church plants don't. There was a time in New England where one, more than one out of two church plants failed. Two years, four years, six years into it, they disbanded and stopped meeting. We have some evidence of that in our own region. We have others that have gone really well. And so when, you're, when you seem to be having some impact, the gospel seems to be taking some light, you get asked the question, well, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And I could never answer that question. Because to me, it didn't seem like we were doing anything all that extraordinary. And yet that's exactly how God has chosen to demonstrate the wonders of his deeds. It doesn't take our creativity. It just takes his faithfulness. You know, I, I, got a, I had a chance to speak to some church planters not, not too long ago in January. And I told them, I said, you know, no matter all the strategies you got, no matter all the advertising you want to do and all those kind of things, and how much videos you got and all that kind of stuff, you don't... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. None of it's going to work. And, and i got to tell you, from the very beginning, one of the things that really struck me was that was pretty much our, 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 our strategy. Let's just love God and love people. And, and God used it. It's not creative. It's been around for a couple thousand years, right? But if you do it, God just uses it. it, it it's His activity. You know, we have from the very beginning a commitment to people experiencing the, the abundant life. You know, Jesus, come, I've, had, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And yet, I was convinced, and many of us who were part of it, that the vast majority of Christians weren't experiencing any abundance in their life. And so we were committed to helping people experience all God wanted for them. What that's translated into is an emphasis on practical theology. Asking the but, but answering the but how question. How do, I, how do I take the truth and translate it into life? Now, we don't do it perfectly, but we try. And because we're trying to communicate 
truth into everyday life. And we try to remind ourselves every single week when faith meets life, it's when hope happens. And God has just taken that passion over the years and just used it. It's not anything I'm doing. It's not anything that, that the leadership team is doing. It's just what God's doing through a very simple emphasis. We started from the very beginning with a commitment to focus on a certain type of people. They weren't black and white, male, female, young or old. They were this. These are people who necessarily, they hadn't given up on God. They had just given up on the church as the place of finding answers on how to live in the 21st century. And we said, those are the people that we want to reach. Not that they've given up on God, but their experience with church is that you're not going to find the answers on how to live in the 21st century. And we've tried to be the kind of church where they can find those answers. And God's just used it. Let me give you one more the way that God's just done some marvelous things to us. You know, I can remember sometime in year two, year three, I was invited somewhere to speak and talk a little bit about church planting out of our experience among some other things. And I remember this thought really struck me. And I shared it with the guys. I said, I'll tell you, one of the things that God's used from the very beginning is that we have men who are committed to the work from the very beginning. In case you didn't know it, most churches are dominated by women. And that's not by design, that's of necessity. The men don't care enough. They're not plugged in enough. they got other things to do. And I specifically remember telling these guys, the thing that makes the biggest impact is that the men that we have sing. That when they sit in the pew, they're able to work through their own self-consciousness. The fact that it might be a little embarrassing to say, you know what, I love my God enough. that I'm going to take a little risk and I'm going to sing His praises. And I want to tell you, whether you're sitting here this morning, men singing has a huge impact as an act of witness. Just remember, worship's not about you. It's about God. And when you don't sing because you don't think you're going to sound right and you might be off key, you're making worship about you. At the beginning, we had guys who sang. I sang. They never gave me a microphone, you know. But I sang, you know. And it makes a difference. And, and you think about the little things that make a difference. It was incredible. And some of you were around there in those days. You know, and I, I, I could talk to a little, Just one other thing. You know, these idea of deeds. You know, we're... Where there's a relationship with God, there ought to be joy. And we were, we were committed from the very beginning to the simple fact that we just wanted church to be fun. We wanted people to like church. Not because, you know, for the right reasons, but we wanted people to like church and there to be life. And, and I can remember in the first year or two, I don't know where in the journey, I can remember the very first time that Bob Turbo came to worship with us. Now, Bob's out teaching senior high kids. He's been an elder, been involved in lots of different ways. He's a great leader among us. The very first time they came, I can remember him kind of pinning me in the corner in the lobby. You know, and Bob, you know how Bob can sometimes get a tense. He said, he's looking at me. He's very tense. He said, that's the first time I felt joy and worship in years. I remember thinking to myself, God's doing what we're asking him to do. Seek. Seek God in his strength, David tells us. I've seen some ways. Boy, I've got to really move fast here. <laughs> Let me move along here. You know, you met, heard a recollection there from Jerry Ritchie that Hope Chapel is, a, is not the first gospel preaching church in our town. Started with Sterling Baptist Church back in the early 70s. That church realized they weren't, being, they weren't able to be effective with the gospel in their own Jerusalem. I'm grateful that they sought God's heart. Because over a period of time, God led them to say, you know what, we need to shut down, but we need to make sure something else starts in our place. And as they followed God's leadership, they sought out Christina and I. I was working with a denomination and, and living in town, attending somewhere else. When I wasn't preaching somewhere, she was active in leadership in, in, in our church that we were part of. And they came to us. And they asked us to think about starting a new church. And then we had to take it to prayer. And i got to tell you, I think both of us were, were kind of hesitant. First of all, I was exhausted from some other things I had, 
other roles I had taken on in addition to my full-time ministry. She was deeply embedded. Besides that, we lived in this town. We knew lots of people in town. Our kids were connected. We saw them at basketball games and at base, baseball games and et cetera. And we were somewhat fearful that you start this new thing and then people ask you six months later, how's the church going? And you're thinking, crappy, you know, can you say that in the pulpit? Sorry, terribly, you know, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know and, and we were a little bit fearful. And God just kind of stepped in and did all that stuff. And I can remember in those early days having some prayer meetings in our homes as God began to pull together a small team that was going to help launch it. And I, and I have no doubt it's because we were seeking Him in prayer. And literally for, 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 for several years, John and I, John McDonough and I used to meet for prayer on Wednesday mornings. I can remember going, pulling into Fort Jewett Road at, in the dark at about 6.30, quarter to 7 in the morning at Fort Jewett Road, and the, build, the little trailer that was there was cold and et cetera. So we would just either meet in my car or his car. And he didn't have near as cool a car then as he does now, you know. But, but, but we, we would just sit in one car or the other. We'd just sit there and we'd just pray for 45 minutes to an hour together. And God used all that stuff to make a change. <laughs> I'll skip the rest of those. He tells us to bring an offering. I, I, I want to address this in a couple different ways, and then we'll make our transition into the Lord's Supper this morning. You know, we... I refer to it as the miracle of May. Back in 2005, we had identified this piece of land as the place where God wanted to build our campus. We had begun the process of working on the property, cutting down trees, building up the foundation, getting the footings and the, and the, and the, uh, the walls in. We had 500 volunteers committed to show up and begin constructing the facility on Memorial Day. It was the 1st of May. We still didn't know how we were going to pay for it. We still didn't have a final commitment on our loan because we hadn't finalized a special commitment that people were making to, a, to an offering that we called Building a Legacy of Hope, which is a three-year kind of giving emphasis. Our consultant who was working with us told us we should have goals of one hundred and fifty dollars to three hundred to $450,000. The committee, led by Dave Davis, we had set goals of four fifty, six hundred, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars $750,000. As we worked through that process, we got down to that early part of May, we knew we needed to hit that upper number or exceed it if we were going to be able to afford to build the building. If not, we were going to have to call everything to a screeching halt and wait a year at least. And I can remember being over at the school, and Dave Davis came in. We, people finally kind of got all of their pledge cards back in, if you will, what they were planning to give. And we had 71 people who had submitted, contra- submitted pledges to be a part of this special offering for three years. And I'll, I'll never forget when he opened it up, and he said that, told us that the total was $774,000. And over the next three years, we received in excess of $700,000 from those pledges. Not everybody was able to keep the pledge that they made. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. What happens when you bring an offering to the Lord? And, and I, I was speechless. In many ways, I still am. You know, we're in a season now, and, and you're going to receive an email from me this week. I'm going to challenge you to participate in a special, just six or seven week offering here called Recycle the Blessing. I'm going to get a lot more details about that. But as we were moving through some developmental challenges at the very, in the beginning of kind of our second year, we had a sister church who came alongside and over a 24 month period, they gave us $40,000 to help us with staffing and other kind of growth needs. Made a huge impact. I want us through this season to raise that same amount of money as a special offering. For a long time, I was thinking, we need to pay down debt. Let's use our 10th anniversary to pay down debt. No, we, we need to be prepared to be a blessing to others. So we're just going to take the money that you give, we're going to put it on the balance sheet, and we're going to use it to bless other new churches. You're going to read a little bit about where it's going to go if you choose to participate, but some of it will go. I think we're going to set up a, 
I don't get to make these decisions by myself, but there seems to be some momentum to setting up a, a revolving loan fund to help churches in Rwanda build buildings. They can put up a building for $15,000. Pay us back over three years. Use it to build another one. We're going to use some of it for that. We're going to use some of it just to, just to get underneath a brand new church start. And there's some discussions of something happening in Worcester. And we're prepared to be on the ground floor of helping them out in that journey. Then a little bit more just to, to help with some extension things we want to do off campus. We just want to be in a position to give it away, to bless some others the way that God blessed us. You know, and that's, that's, all, all we have to do is give one extra month's tithe and we'll meet that goal. Now, that's sacrificial, but it's doable. But God really blesses when we bring an offering. One last thing. He says for us to remember. We're going to remember in the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. God always reminds us. God always commands us to remember so that we can commit. This morning, we've been looking at some things that God's done in the life of our church over these 10 years, especially the early years. He's been reminding us about what happens when we seek Him, when we do things in His strength. We let Him do the work through us. All of that is a reminder to us to commit to the future. We're going to remember that all of this has happened because of who Christ is. But it's also a challenge to you. It's a challenge for you to remember what God has done in your life. If you look at it and you say, I'm not sure God's done anything, then that moment can change today as you place your faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord. But as you think back to that moment of salvation in your own journey, the way that God has led you throughout it, it's an opportunity, a fresh opportunity for us to all commit for a more faithful today and a growing tomorrow because of who God is. Let's pray together and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. Our Father and our God, we're grateful that you've just worked in the life of our church. You know, Father, I, I just had such fun this week playing back through the memory banks of the things that you've done at Hope Chapel. God, it also has reminded me, Father, it reminds all of us, there's a lot of work to be done. And the kinds of things that you've done in the past, you're eager and ready to do in the future because Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God, today we remember his yesterday, his life on this planet, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and the salvation that we have in him. Change us, Father, as we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to come forward. And you can pray for me between services that I can figure out how to shorten my sermon. Let me just quickly read. It's always great to recall that we do this at Jesus' invitation. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins.